The college football world has been shaken up. Baseball playoffs are still going on, so this episode is packed. Joe, you picked a good one to come on. Oh, man, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> All right, well, we got Mr. Bills Mafia himself. I mean, I've never met a bigger Bills fan, and... <laughs> I spend all this time in Syracuse. Let's give it up for Pooch. Go, Pooch. Wow. The live audience here. Incredible. Yeah, how do you feel about the how do you feel about the Sabres thus far after one game? The Sabres, I mean, look, I'm not gonna get too far ahead of myself. I think they played well <laughs> against Montreal. As we're recording this, they are tied with the the uh, Coyotes after two. They look good. I mean, look, it's it's a new beginning for the Sabres. You have to rebuild after whatever happened, after the first rebuild, I guess. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic with the team's future, team's present. Eh, I don't know. But 1-0-0, can't complain. The Arizona Coyotes, the future Houston Coyotes. Beautiful like jerseys, say. though. Yeah, they the do Kachinas, have nice jerseys. Oof. They do have nice jerseys. Well, we'll get into that crazy ground rule double, among other things, in a minute. But, Joe, Alabama lost Saturday. Yeah. They didn't just lose. They lost to Texas A&M, a team that, I'm going to be totally honest with you, I wrote off after they lost to, I think, two unranked teams. They, they lost two in a row. That's all I know. They fall out of the top 25. Then they come out of nowhere to beat the Tide. So can Alabama still make the playoff, in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. I think that the SEC is head and shoulders above every other conference in college football. And, and going back to Texas A&M, what you said earlier, I think it's r- difficult to really count out Texas A&M because of Jimbo Fisher. I think he's that good of a coach where it doesn't matter who he's got on his sideline. It's it's going to make a difference at the end of the day. And so uh, for Alabama, I think that if they they can win out in the SEC, that there's no problem with that. I have no no concerns with this team. And then you go up against Georgia in the SEC championship if they're one and two at that point, which is certainly possible, the loser of that game is going to be number four or number three, and they're going to be in the college football. Playoff. So you're telling me that a two-loss Alabama team can make the playoffs? Absolutely. I they're, disagree. They're so, I disagree wholeheartedly. There's a very talented program over there. That honestly, I think that the the tide they're that good of a team. Well, I mean, two losses, you know, they'd be on the brink of four and five, but. I don't think it's completely out of the picture to just rule them out of being in the top four. I don't think so either. However, I don't see it happening. I mean, when you take a look at who they would have to leapfrog, they're not leapfrogging Georgia anytime soon. I mean, the only time they'd see them is the SEC championship, unless I'm mistaken. Then you've got Cincinnati, who is a group of five school. They're probably not going to lose another game. So I have a hard time seeing them slip out of the top four, right? Then you've got Oklahoma. We'll get to them in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And Iowa, who is in the Big Ten. I mean, they beat Penn State last weekend, which was as good of a win as you can get at this Penn stage. Penn State's of the a season. fake top ten team. <laughs> shout out Fair Braden enough. Reed. Oh yep, shout they're out Braden. Fa- Reed. They're just a fake. I mean, Braden agrees with me too. They're a fake oh, top ten good. team. Good. They're fake. I haven't talked to Braden about it, but <laughs> that's good to hear. But then Ohio State and Dales was adamant last weekend that Ohio State is the best team <laughs> in the Big Ten. To of no course. surprise, of course. I mean, he gave you the juicer points. So. Yeah, he I mean, you know, Dales is kind of a fraud in that aspect too, where he just thinks so, Ohio State's the best. But I disagree. So. I believe Iowa matches up with Ohio State later this season. That, in my opinion, will determine if Bama makes the college football playoff because at this point in time, I don't see them beating Georgia. They have a heck of a lot of work to do to make me think otherwise. So at this point in time, I don't see it happening. However, it's very possible. But here's the thing, too, right? Georgia, they scored 10 points on Clemson in week one. That's Clemson. They have one of the best defenses in college football. They did, but they couldn't escape that. I mean, their their offense, like— they didn't do the things that they have been doing this entire season against a Clemson team that, granted, is a good defense, but Syracuse put 14 on them last night. That's Syracuse. 
understandable. I'm, I'm saying, like, I think that Georgia is, yes, they're a great football team, but if they go up against Alabama in the SEC championship, I'm not writing them off. And obviously, every college football talk you'll hear, oh, you know, let, let's let's look at the college football, look at the SEC. Like, we, we can play that hypothetical game of Alabama being a two-loss team. I think that the Tide are a good enough football program at the current moment where if they happen to be in that position where they are on the cusp of being in the top four and they have to trounce teams like Cincinnati and Iowa who are one-loss programs, I'd rather take the Tide that are two-loss over a team like Iowa or Cincinnati but that could be Cincinnati's one. Cincinnati's not losing another game. I don't see Iowa losing another game. Could, could I, you're telling me that Alabama I'm not, I, look, there's who a lot lost of, to a team that was out of the top 25 when they were the number one team in the country can make the college football playoff. I yes, I mean I just I this year in college football has told me one thing: rule out nobody. Everyone is in contention. And honestly, if a team like Cincinnati loses to I don't know Tulane, East Carolina, like I don't know how you can vouch for them to be in the top ten after that. So I don't know. I think that it, it's there's still a lot more football left to be played and. I, it sounds like I'm going to use that as an excuse, but it's true. Like hey, we are, we're only halfway through the season. You make a good point. It's true. I, I just think that I just think that there are so many differences in college football programs right now that naming one of them to be this team, it's a little too much. But I, I think that if Alabama's a two-loss team and they make the postseason, there's going to be a lot of angry people. But at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are say, "Yeah, well, they're good enough." All right. Well, only time will tell. Let's move into last week's other big college football game. I mean, what more can you say about Texas-Oklahoma? Dales and I were recording during that game, (laughs) and at that point, Texas was blowing the gates out of Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler looking terrible. We'll get to him in a minute, but Texas ended up losing the game 55-48 to off of that last-second touchdown pass that cost Josh Golden some money, betting Texas minus (laughs) three and a half, plus three and a half. No, yeah, that's really tough, but... I mean, so what's the story here? Is it Texas choking and or Oklahoma coming back? And what do you see Spencer Rowler's future as? Yeah, so that game was really shocking because I didn't watch. I don't think I caught most of the second and third quarter. I caught the end of the game and the start, which was I think there was like three touchdowns in the first five minutes. That was a quintessential Big 12 game in which the defenses weren't there. Um <laughs> And I, I honestly think that this was Texas's game to win. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma stepped up and proved they were the better team. And granted, that you know resulted in having a quarterback change, which probably no one saw coming. But I think that if you're Texas's defense in, in that last last play, you cannot give up that big of a no chance. You can't. You like that that's kind of in the story with college football defenses this year is they're being very conservative, and there's not many teams sending pressure because there are so many offenses that are talented, and there's quarterbacks like Spencer Rattler that can dance out of the pocket and do many different things with the football. So I, I honestly think that this was more of a game that, that Texas lost, but it's 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 tough for me to argue that as I say it because I think that Oklahoma did what they needed to do in order to win. Absolutely. And had they lost that game, people would be writing them off right now. Oh, absolutely, especially since Spencer Rowler has been benched. Now, to your point on that last play, that was a 33-yard run by Kennedy Brooks to win the game. That can't happen. That cannot happen. You know, and if they kick the field goal, that's a 51-yarder. That's no that's no guarantee in the NFL, let alone college football. And even if, you, like, 33 yards are way too much. Like, exactly. It, like, I— 
I understand a 33-yard pass. That, that happens. Your, your quarterback dots you up. A run means that you just played terrible defense and you, you covered the wrong gaps. So even if it's a 12-yard run or a 20-yard run, instead of a 50-yard field goal, it's, it's more of like a 30-40, which closer, but not, a guarantee. not a guarantee. So I think that the Texas, just <laughs> they dropped the ball big time there. Yeah, so I think the general consensus here is that Texas lost it rather than Oklahoma won it. However, the Sooners are still a very good team. Yeah. Which brings me into Spencer Rattler. Mm -hmm. I mean, shout out to that OU student newspaper writer, by the way, for (laughs) finding this. But Caleb Williams was taking first-team reps. He deserves it, man. According to my research, Coach Riley has not announced the starter for tonight's game against TCU. So if it is Caleb Williams starting, which the signs are pointing towards it being Caleb Williams— where does Rattler go from here? <laughs> he does not go to Oklahoma, I'll tell you that much. I think that Spencer Rattler's in the situation very, very similar to Jalen Hurts. And I going into this year, I'm a big NFL draft guy, and I look at prospects all the time. I had Rattler's QB1 going into this year. Almost Houston cannot pass on a guy like Spencer Rattler. <laughs> now it would be asinine if Spencer Rattler went into the NFL draft this year because What's he done to prove that he Nothing. can be an NFL quarterback? Nothing. So, honestly, if he can find another situation, just have that one good football year before the draft, it'll help him out immensely. But if you're in, if you're the eyes of the Sooners, right, you're like, this backup quarterback who's been sitting behind Spencer Rattler all this time just beat Texas in the Red River Rivalry. Ooh, Red River Rivalry. I always mess that up. At the Cotton Bowl. You have to give him first-team reps tonight. I, I don't understand might be how you shocked can't. if he wouldn't start. I don't understand how you can't give Caleb Williams the first-team reps exactly. at this point in time. And like you said, this and to your point about Spencer Rattler, how he was penciled in as QB1 back before the season started, mm-hmm. this NFL draft quarterback class, it's abysmal. It's awful. Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't use abysmal. I would say it's not as deep as years past. I think last year— was we, we were spoiled by spoiled. last year. You had, you know, T-Law, you had Wilson and Justin Fields, who I thought was the second best or third best player in the entire draft, goes at 11 or 10 to Chicago. This year, I, I mean, whoever has the first overall pick, I think right now the Jaguars are lined up to get the first overall pick. Obviously, they won't go quarterback, but even if it's the Lions, I don't think they'll go quarterback either. I don't think they will either. And I think that that just, it, it proves a point that, there hasn't been a quarterback in college football that's bursted onto the scene. I guess maybe Carson Strong in Nevada and obviously Malik Willis for Liberty, but none of I wouldn't pencil either of those guys in to be drafted higher than Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton. Or Kayvon Thibodeau. Or for that obviously, matter. yeah, St. Kayvon Thibodeau in Oregon. So uh, th- going back to, to Spencer Rattler, it doesn't make much sense for, for Spencer to stay in Oklahoma and and then go to the draft this April. And so I honestly think that Rattler, if 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 Williams is the guy for Oklahoma, Rattler should look at other schools before going to the draft because and, and granted, I haven't looked at the situation as as deeply as I should. So, you know, maybe maybe this is the time for Rattler to go to the draft. And this is regardless of what happens, this is the year that he's gonna go to the NFL, barring any injuries or endorsement opportunities, what have you. So maybe his best option is going to the NFL. But not. I don't think so. I disagree. I don't think so. If I was his agent, I'd be like, no, go somewhere else. Let's move into baseball. And things got really spicy between the White Sox and Joe's probably second least favorite team in the MLB, the Houston Astros. Yeah, I guess you could say so. Yeah. Well, 
Ryan Tapera accused the Astros of stealing signs at Minute Maid. <laughs> Martin Maldonado said, that's just extra motivation. Dusty Baker said, I've never even heard of this guy. <sighs> it's ugh. that's uh, I can't do this anymore. And then man. the Astros blew the gates out of the White Sox in game four. They won the game <laughs> 10 to 1. Uh, and then Carlos Correa, I don't remember who we was spoke speaking to after the game. It was one of the Fox sideline guys. Basically said, another guy that doesn't know the facts. And like I said, if you don't know the facts, then you need to do that other thing. So what do you make of this <laughs> whole fiasco? I mean, it's just continuing what sparked two years ago. Yeah, just shut up, Houston. Just <laughs> just shut up. Like, no one no one cares, right? You, you won the World Series in 2017, whatever. You made it to the World Series um, in, in 2019. Awesome. Congrats. Stop acting like you're the underdog. You have Jose Altuve. Carlos Correa, one of the best offenses in all of baseball. You lost your ace, Garrett Cole, and it doesn't seem like your pitching took a hit. Just shut up. Like, you beat the White Sox. Like, yeah, they won the AL Central. Congrats. I think Syracuse Club Baseball could have beaten, <laughs> could have won the AL Central this year. Just knock it off. And Dusty Baker, I have a lot of respect for him, but I know he's a player's manager and he's going to say whatever his players say, but... Just shut up. I'm done with it. Like, the fact that I have to seriously consider who to root for in the ALCS between the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros says something. Just keep your mouth shut. Play baseball. If you win, you win. Like, I want to like your team. You beat Chicago 10-1 to and have a, a solid offense to, to show for it. But I can't listen to Carlos Correa be Carlos Correa. And once he becomes a Met this summer, or next <laughs> summer, awesome. I don't have to listen to him anymore. But I just, ugh, it just drives me nuts how this team infuriates me at every turn. How would how would you feel if Carlos Correa ends up in pinstripes? I'd love it. Really? I'd love, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, don't, don't go back to this pod. Just, just <laughs> I, I love Carlos Correa. Okay, so... Every single time one of these guys opens their mouth about what happened in 17, like Correa, when he was interviewed by Rosenthal, it honestly makes me feel like they don't seem sorry for what they did oh, in 2017. No. No. I mean, I think it's safe to say that those apologies were half-hearted at best. And I think the if you don't know the facts, then you need to shut the bleep up thing only exemplifies it. Because, I mean, it's not out of question to 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 think that they were – stealing signs back then it's not out of question to think they were stealing signs right now and look i've said this several times but it needs to be repeated every single team in major league baseball steals signs in some way shape or form i'm sure you would partially agree with that yeah however it's a part of the game the astros took it way too far and that's why they're getting beaned that's why they're getting booed by fans across the country oh exactly i mean i i played baseball from when i was five till age 14 so I didn't really get much into the sign stealing aspect like runner on second trying to catch the catcher's sign but we went up against teams that did it and it's tough but it happens and the only way that you stop that don't let a runner on second exactly Houston you take it too far when we have no one on base and, and the team is doing well against you pitching wise and you're using cameras just just cut it out. Like, just, like, not not the, the cheating part, obviously. that that Or, yes, the cheating part, <laughs> I guess. Like, you get what I'm saying. Just stop acting like, oh, it's, it's me against the world. Because it is. Like, everyone doesn't like you. You didn't apologize in 2017. 
you ripped a World Series from multiple teams in 2017 that deserve to win one. And now you're sitting here in 2021 with arguably the uh, uh, one of the best offenses you had since 2017. And it, just just stop. Like, just, just knock it off. You beat the White Sox. Congrats. You didn't have to go through the Yankees in the LDS or the Red Sox, or if you're on the National League side, go through the Dodgers. You, you played probably the worst playoff team in the American League. and Without question. Yeah, and, and, yeah, you beat them you, you, convincingly. Congrats. Now you go up against the Red Sox, who manhandled the Yankees and did a really, really good job against the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been a fantastic ball club all year. Keep talking. Like, you're going to keep—I I hate saying this, but you're going to keep talking and then play the Red Sox? That's a, that's a loss to you. I mean, the Red Sox, they do a great job uh, in that locker room, in that clubhouse of— acting like they're better than everyone else because at some points they are and well, it's ridiculous i'll also say this before we move on carlos correa tapping his wrist after hitting that home run i can only imagine that's gonna rile up the boston clubhouse but talking I just, about I, I just can't wait till the astros are back to the bottom of major league baseball i can't either but talking about that red sox race series i mean those two games at fenway were some of the wildest and honestly very reminiscent of 04 in the ALCS, games four and five, two straight days with walk-off front runs. And then you have one of the weirdest plays you will ever, ever see in 04 game five. I believe it was, I think it was Tony Clark who had a ground rule double down the right field line in the top of the ninth. Yeah. Would have easily scored a run, probably putting the season to bed. But, you know, that's Fenway Park. Hey, it's a Mickey Mouse baseball scene <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, let's yeah, not yeah, get yeah, around yeah. it. Let's not get around it. But... This whole Hunter Renfro thing, Kiermaier hits a ball to the gap, bounces off the wall, off of Renfro and out of play. Yeah. They call it a ground rule double. And I said right away, that run should have counted. That run should have counted. But, I mean, the letter, the, the rule book says otherwise. So, yeah, what needs to happen after this? I really don't know if there's a definitive answer to how you fix that. I think that, you know, Fenway Park is such an integral part of baseball itself, regardless of how awful the stadium is. <laughs> Um, I think that Boston's gonna be like, oh, well, we're gonna keep it for un- until un- the end of time un- until seats start collapsing. So, you know, I-, I don't think that there's really an answer for this. Baseball stadiums, for those who don't know, baseball stadiums have their own ground rules. So, if a ball hits a certain part of the wall, it's up to the stadium and the organization that has that stadium to make up that rule. Obviously, got to pass it through Major League Baseball. You can't just be like, oh, if it hits the wall, it's a home run. Congrats for us. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are certain rules. So that the rule in right field is. If the ball hits a player and bounces over that two-foot wall in right field, it's a ground rule double, and there's no other way around it. So unless Major League Baseball comes out and, you know, changes Fenway Park's ground grounds rule or Fenway Park grounds rules. Fenway Park's ground rule. Yeah, I, I, I common one was bad when I was back in college. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's a difficult situation. Should the run have counted? Absolutely. Um, but that's it's the way it is. But then here's the thing, too. If you look at it the other way, and you have a right-handed batter in that batter's box, you're going up against a green monster. That ball's not going up there. So now you do have a play at home. So I think that it kind of goes both ways. It's a difficult situation. I don't think that there's nothing you can really do about it. One other thing I'll say is that the Red Sox hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the inning, so the score would have been 6-5 instead of 6-4 had the run counted. But, yeah, like you said, there's not much you can do. It's just... I feel bad for Tampa. I mean, obviously, I'm happy that we beat them, and that was a heck of a series. Vasquez hitting that walk-off homer. Hernandez, one night later, with the sack fly. And like you said, there's just there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's it's very, very lucky what happened. I mean, and 
all credit to Nick Pavetta for that outing he had the other night. But at the same time, I mean, if that run scores, I mean, who knows what the Rays would have done in the bottom <laughs> of the bottom of the inning? I personally don't think they would have made a move. I think they would have stuck with Patino after what he did his first inning on the mound. But I mean, it's just an unfortunate situation that not much you can do about. It, I mean, it happens. It's baseball, and yep. I think that you know that kind of goes back to what I've been saying for for years now. The fact that you play 162 games in the regular season and either have to play a one-game playoff or a five-game playoff, I think it's absurd. When the NHL and the NBA have 82-game seasons, and regardless of, of what round, it's seven. seven. So, you know, I, I think that baseball should revise that playoff format, even if your wild card is a best of five and your division series is, is best of seven. I'm cool with that. But the whole one game, then five game, then a seven game, if you make it that far against, I mean, I don't know really how to say this, but the top teams in baseball and the worst teams in the postseason, there's not much difference. So the fact that there was not a whole lot of parity with that, I, it, it makes the baseball postseason a little bit difficult. But again, it's baseball and you have to step up when it matters. And I think that the, the Red Sox definitely did that with their walk-off hits. Um, do they have the benefit of their home ballpark? That Without is question. quite awful. Absolutely. But it happens. Indeed. So let's move on to Atlanta, Milwaukee. I mean, Joe, I said I came on this show and said the Brewers were going to win the World Series. <laughs> that didn't work out quite well. I mean, their offense was just non-existent. What happened to Christian Yelich? Yeah, it's But bad. at the same time, Max Fried, Morton, Ian Anderson all did a fantastic job on the mound. The Jocktober hype is real as well. <laughs> so in your eyes, was this good Atlanta or bad Milwaukee? It's a mix of both, honestly. And, and look, I think... If you look at the Braves situation, I always say that the teams that come out of division races have the best odds of winning the World Series because they're battle-tested. The Brewers, who was the second-best team in the division? St. Louis? Cincinnati. Oh, no, right, it was St. Louis. It was St. Louis who won 17 games at the end of the season to get them in the second wild-card spot. Like, they're not battle-tested. And I think that the Brewers had, yes, tons of issues offensively and the pitching didn't show up, and I think Josh Hader didn't shut the door when he needed to. No. But the Braves were battle-tested, and they knew if they lost the division to the Phillies or to the Mets, they would not hear the end of it, and they'd have to no. blow up their team. I think that the Braves have been a sleeper team in baseball over the last four or five years, and they proved it in that division series by taking care of business against the Brewers. and. I really like Ozzie Albies, and I, I think that he has been sort of that number two guy behind Acuna for a while now. He showed up, and yeah. that was he led that team to where they need to be, and now he's going to need to lead them more than ever in the championship series. You're forgetting Freddie Freeman, though. I will that say too. that. That too, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, like you said, it's back to your point with the White Sox. They weren't battle-tested at all. I mean, that division was, for lack of a better word, a crapshoot. Absolutely. It was awful. Yeah. And then— yeah, I mean, Milwaukee's pitching just didn't show up. I mean, Peralta, no, it was Woodruff in Game 2, had a mediocre outing. Peralta only pitched four innings in Game 3. And then in the fifth inning, Jock Peterson hit that three-run nuke. Then Game 4, Josh Hader gave up the homer to Freddie Freeman that, if I'm being totally honest, is reminiscent of when Chapman gave up that bomb <laughs> to Mike Brasso. Yeah. So it, elite closers giving up home runs in the late stages of a game to yeah. close off the season. So. That being said, this is good Atlanta. I mean, some of the moves they made at the deadline were fantastic. Duvall, Jocktober, mm-hmm. Jorge Soler is battling COVID right now, but when he comes back, he's going to be a menace in the NLCS. We'll get into that momentarily. 
Yeah, and I honestly think that the Brewers have lots of question marks going oh, into this offseason. They've got to fix their offense. The biggest one is Eduardo Escobar. I mean, what's he going to do, right? And if you if you want to have a dominant offense, Escobar has to be a part of the picture. But at the same time, if you want to blow up this offense and start with completely new pieces, you have to let Escobar walk. You can't even get value for him. So it's a difficult situation. I think the Brewers need to get a number two or even a number one starting pitcher alongside Peralta. Bert, what about Corbin Burns? Yeah, they didn't show up in the postseason. And uh. if you can't po- if you can't show up in October, then you're not that at Garrett Cole. If you don't show up in October, you're not that good of a pitcher. So, you know, I think that I think the Brewers have a lot of question marks offensively more than the pitching. But without question, we'll we'll see what happens. All right, so Dodgers Giants game yeah. five. Bellinger hits the go-ahead knock in the top nine. Bottom nine, runner on first, two out. I believe the count is one-two. Wilmore Flores absolutely did not go. Right. However, Gabe Morales, who, by the way, was the same umpire that had that bad strike three call on Matt Barnes when the Sox were playing the Yankees. I know that's fresh in your mind. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mean, I think the Dodgers would have won the series anyway, but... That I mean, MLB needs to fix their umpires, Joe. Uh, yeah, but I I hate the argument that one play dictates the game. You have nine innings, twenty-seven outs. You need to manage them correctly. And yeah, he didn't swing. Heat of the moment, that kind of stuff happens. We can sit in our chairs here, Liam, and slow down the the side camera angle and be like, that's definitely not a swing. But when you're getting paid and you're standing on the first baseline at Oracle Park, sometimes calls like that happen. Is there a problem with the umpires? Yes. But when umpires make good calls, no one talks about them. So I honestly think that, yes, I think the, the Dodgers would have won the series. I mean, they're, they're a very talented ball club, but that Giants team was so impressive this year. They've got fantastic analytics. They, they were able to break down that lineup, add in guys like Chris Bryant to, to make them not just a, a postseason team, but a championship contender. And again, it goes back to that playoff format. You got your two best National League teams going up against each other in a division series. Not fantastic. So, no. I don't know. I, I think that there is a problem with the umpires, but at the same time, one play doesn't dictate the game, and there there were many other opportunities in which um, in which the Giants could have won that baseball game. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. However, I will say this. The fact that Gabe Morales, the umpire who made that call on Matt Barnes, was, in, was umpiring the game. And you know who else was umpiring that game, though? Angel... Hernandez. I'm familiar with his work. He's not, great. He's, no, not great. he's not great. No, he's not great. He's not great. How the MLB let them umpire <laughs> is beyond me. I mean, we went out and said, Joe, after that drop strike three call, which, by the way, you guys won that game fair and square. However, that was a terrible call. Yeah, yeah. Joe West should not be umpiring playoff games. And what do they give him? They give him the National League wildcard game. Did it make a difference? No. No. However, I mean. It's a clown show organization. Exactly. Clown show. I mean, I, and I agree with, you know, the old umpiring thing. I think that there's been a lot of. Issues it's it's this been year. a bad season for them. But the the alternate <laughs> form of that is computer umps, umps, and I do not want robo That's a umps terrible idea. whatsoever. That's so a I terrible don't know. idea. I don't know. I'm not Rob Manfred. Thank God I'm not. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the series going on right now. One started last night. One starts tonight. Houston-Boston. Houston pulled off a come-from-behind 5-4 victory to go up 1-0 last night. So talk to me, Joe. How did the Sox respond? I think that Boston just needs to be themselves, really. You have a seven-game series. You you cannot panic right now whatsoever. A 5-4 loss, 5-4 loss, right? Sometimes the ball bounces the other way. Yep. And 
if if Boston can like I really don't even know what they need to do. Like you scored four runs against the Astros. What else do you need to do? I think that it, the pitching just probably needs to be a little more efficient. But yeah. again, that's the first time you're playing Houston since June. In over, since I was going to say in over a month. It's more than a month. <laughs> um, so you're, you're going up against a lineup you you don't really know, and you, you never know what kind of situations are good for the Astros, right? You you obviously know you have to try and pitch around Correa. You have to try and pitch around Altuve, but. You don't want them on base either, so you got to pitch around other guys, and so that's why, th- that's why it's a little bit difficult. But game one, it happens. If the if this was the Yankees against the Astros, I would not be scared unless there was some wild occurrence that happened. I wouldn't be scared about it. So, I mean, yeah, it's, tonight's game two is Nathan Evaldi versus Luis Garcia, who, by the way, I've said several times on the show has the most messed up lineup I think you will ever see. <laughs> he has like a little Texas two-step, I like to call it. He's but, a little jiggy with it. But I mean, yeah, Framber Valdez did not look good yesterday. And he's, in my opinion, is the best starter on the Astros roster. Mm-hmm. Garcia did not look good in his first postseason start against the White Sox. And I think the thing we haven't mentioned yet that we need to talk about, Lance McCullers is right. not pitching. That is a huge loss. And it's something the Red Sox have to take advantage of. I don't even know who's starting game three or game four. I mean, are they going to pull Zach Greinke out of Zach Greinke's corpse out of the bullpen? <laughs> they might so, need it. They, yeah, they might need it. So, like you said, no reason to panic. You've got to, you've got games to work with, but you got to do everything you can to win today. Because going back to Fenway down 0-2 is not exactly a desirable situation. Right, and I think that that's going to be up to Dusty Baker just to manage his team correctly. You you have to know if you know the Red Sox have five hits through four innings you got to start looking at that bullpen as soon as possible so it, it's going to be a chess match between Baker and Cora because that's when Cora is going to start playing offense against Baker right and, and trying to trying to get his chess pieces in the right spot so it's going to be a great series um, I'm kicking and screaming watching this because <laughs> I I hate the two teams but you know I, I just want one of these teams to shut up and so I guess I guess they have to go up against each other uh, and one thing I will say before we move on, I, I don't think it can be overemphasized how Alex Cora brutally outmanaged Kevin Cash in that <laughs> series. It was it was bad. But yeah. let's move on to the NLCS. It's Braves-Dodgers, second straight year in a row. Dodgers probably the heavy favorites, but can the Braves win, in your opinion? Mm, it They'd have to win in four or five. There's no shot that the Braves win a seven-game series with the Dodgers. You can't, you can't out-muscle that team. The amount of star power they have pitching-wise, that lineup going against them seven times, it's not going to happen. And so if the Braves win this series, they need to dominate. Like, dominate. They cannot let the Dodgers you let them win a game. That's it. So I, I think that this is going to be a Dodgers series to win. And it goes back to what I said earlier about being battle-tested, right? right. The NL West, probably the most battle-tested division in all of baseball, obviously, in all of National League, but they're contending with the AL East for how, how competitive it was. Yeah. The fact that they were able to outmuscle the Giants in five games, win by one run on a controversial check swing, it goes to so goes to show, pardon, that the Dodgers know what it takes to win in those situations. And so when you go up against a team like the Braves, who manhandled the Brewers and were able to win an NL East division that wasn't that strong. Right. It just goes to show that the the Dodgers, pardon, are are that good of a baseball team, and I don't think the Braves can can really battle unless they win in four or five. Well, it's going to be an interesting series, Joe. I don't think there's any denying that. However, like you said, I mean the Braves have to have the foot on the gas pedal 
365. Because if they let up even once, the Dodgers are going to put the dagger in the throat. Absolutely. And it's going to be an interesting matchup today. Max Freed gets the start for Atlanta. I believe the Dodgers are going with an opener again, Corey Knebel. <laughs> so that's that's an interesting decision yeah. in my opinion, but, you know, only time will tell. So right, we've got some football for you in a little bit, including his favorite team. But yeah, baby. we got to talk about Kyrie Irving. Earlier this week, the Nets announced that Kyrie isn't even going to play in road games. Per NYC protocols, he wouldn't have been eligible to play in home games. However, the Nets are just saying, enough of this. They're not even going to use him at all, unless unless presumably he gets vaccinated, which I think is far from a short thing at this point. So do you think the Nets can play a full 82-game season without him? And what do you see Kyrie's future in the NBA as? Yeah, so let me preface by saying my NBA fandom my entire life. So my dad grew up a Celtics fan. Back in the back in the 70s and 80s, there was only a handful of teams on TV. Yeah. My dad loved Larry Bird. Boom. Celtics fan. So that was on me. I became a Celtics fan until last year. <laughs> and the reason why is because I hate the NBA so much. I can't stand the league. I don't know I don't know what it is. I think that there's just so many talking heads and oh, so much drama off the court and oh, who's better, Jordan LeBron? Like I, I can't deal with it. I, I it just turns me away. That being said, I was a Celtics fan when Kyrie Irving was the point guard of the Boston Celtics. Oh, God. I was a fan of the move when they got him. I wasn't. Hated it ever since. Because Kyrie Irving is a very selfish player both on and off the court. And I'll speak more of how selfish he is on the court because that's what's more important. Right. He's a pass first or a shoot first guard that doesn't look at his options. And when you had guys like Jason Tatum and Al Horford at the ready and you didn't use them, it really hurt the Celtics in quite possibly was their championship window from a few years Without ago. question. And so I think that Kyrie, if he's going to be successful, needs to be on a team that's solely Kyrie Irving and four other guys that can rebound. That's not the Brooklyn Nets. That's Kevin Durant, who needs the basketball, and James Harden, who needs the basketball. I think that the Nets are going to be just fine without Kyrie Irving. I think they'll be like... I don't know what, like, what does Kyrie bring to the table that James Harden can't do? They're pretty much the same player, and if you can get a pass-first point guard in there, the Nets will be fine. Like, if your offensive go-tos are Katie Harden and then Blake Griffin's, your th- that's perfect. I wouldn't want to construct a team any other way. So, heck, I might even like the NBA now, and I might <laughs> like the Nets because because the, the Nets are, are going to be a team that utilizes every option. They're going to be fun to watch. I honestly think that Kyrie not playing for the Nets this year, so what? It doesn't make that big of a difference. If the Nets can get trade value for Kyrie, if he either A, gets vaccinated, or B, plays for a team that has looser COVID restrictions in the city that they play in, by all means, trade him. Like, I don't see what the big deal is because I think that the Nets— are gonna be just fine without I, Kyrie Irving. I I agree. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't picture them as the undisputed championship favorites oh, by no, any means. No, which people close. Which so many people have been pointing as. I mean, keep in mind that this team did just lose to the Milwaukee Bucks in the postseason. And right. The Western Conference is still very good. The Lakers got better. I mean, who knows what you're gonna do with? I don't know what to think of Philly. I don't know what to think of Miami. I don't know what to think of Boston. So when you look at it, the NBA is wide open. 
for it is. perhaps the first time in our lives, which is a beautiful <laughs> thing. Right. So that's that's a point too. The NBA has just been so one or two teams, and I'm just like I can't watch it anymore. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, like you said, the Nets should be fine without him. In fact, they may even be better off without him. Exactly. We of all people know that Kyrie Irving. May, and oftentimes makes his teammates worse. I mean, right. Jason Tatum took a step back when Kyrie returned. Jalen Brown took a step back. Gordon Hayward was a shadow of himself. I understand he was coming back from injury. However, at the same time, then, I mean, he's just a to- he's just a toxic piece to a locker room. That's just the truth of the matter. And, right. I mean, if he doesn't want to get vaccinated, you know, all power to him. I respect his decision. But if you're the Nets, I see no reason to keep him at this point because I don't see de Blasio ending those restrictions anytime soon <laughs> yeah and, and this isn't more of like a like a COVID restriction thing it's, it's more of of Kyrie being Kyrie himself like yeah. there have been issues in the past when he was with Cleveland when he was in Boston of him being a selfish player he wanted LeBron to leave the Cavs like what like what are you talking about you want you don't want LeBron on your team give me a break so I don't know I, I think that Kyrie is is going to be Kyrie Irving he said like a few years ago he was going to make his own basketball league Cool. Like no one cares. Like I like I do not care about his decisions on or off the court unless he decides to be a less selfish player on the court. So to your point about Kyrie, I mean, several players in the NBA would kill for the opportunity to play with LeBron. Right. And the fact that Kyrie is asking, get me out of here, I don't want to play with this guy anymore, it's just absurd. Yeah, and and I, I'll give Kyrie this. He can Handle the ball better than anybody in the NBA, uh, except for Steph Curry. That that's very that's very fair. I agree with that. But um, he's a very talented player. I loved him coming out of Duke. But no, just stop. <laughs> like just just stop. Like it, it it it's the same thing with the Houston Astros. Just shut up. All right. Well, I have a feeling you're not going to be quote unquote shutting up about this topic anytime soon. The Buffalo Bills absolutely yeah, pounded the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah. thirty-eight to twenty. Josh Allen hurling over a defender, hitting Emmanuel Sanders and Dawson Knox yeah. on deep bombs. I know you're excited. I saw your Twitter going crazy the other <laughs> night. So, I mean, what does this win do for Buffalo? And are they the clear-cut favorites to come out of the AFC right now? First of all, if you love Bill's content on Twitter, make sure you follow at the Real Joke on Twitter. <laughs> um, and to your question, I would have to say right now, yes. And the reason why I'm saying yes as a Bills fan is that this team has come together over the last few years. Back in 2019, the defense carried Buffalo. It wasn't even close. The Bills offense had, I think the number one receiving option was Kelvin Benjamin in 2019. Uh, and the offense with a young Josh Allen who, you know, he was he was sporadic in, in, at times as still is this year, right? He's, he's, he was a developing quarterback. The defense was the best part of that team. They went 10-6, and six, lost the wild card game to Houston. 2020, my God, was that the best offense I've ever seen. Was it also a bad defense? Yes, they were the 14th best defense in the NFL back in 2020, which is still good, but the defense could not stop the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. So what did GM Brandon Bean do in the offseason? He used his first two draft picks on pass rushers. Got Greg Rousseau, who I had as a top five talent at pick 30, and then went and got Boogie Basham from Wake Forest in the second round. Was I shook about them getting two pass rushers? Yes. Did it work? My Absolutely. God, did it work. I mean, that game against the Chiefs, that was the game they had to play in the AFC Championship game. The D-line rotation has has shocked me. I, the, the defense is the best in the NFL. 
and it's not even close. No. And the Bills' offense, they are just they are just hitting. And the one noticeable difference from the offense last year, outside of the rushing attack in which they've used Moss and Singletary very well in, in mixing those two in, it's the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. Yes. I, I thought that, you know, you bring in a, a 30-plus-year-old receiver, what is he going to do? He's been light years better than John Brown ever was in a Bills uniform. And the reason is not only is he fantastic on the field and sometimes the DBs aren't looking at Sanders specifically, right? They got Diggs, they got Beasley, they got Knox to take care of. But he is just awesome in the locker room. He's wanted to be a Bill for the last three years, and the Bills could not find a way to get him on the team. They got him here this year. Josh Allen loves throwing the football to him. Rightfully so. It it, it This year is just a mix of the perfect offense they need and the defense that Brandon Bean has wanted ever since he got the job in 2018 so, or 2017. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, first of all, I want to address your point about the pass rushers. I remember back in March when J.J. Watt signed with the Cardinals, I remember the, all the Bills fans I follow on Twitter going like, ah, oh, shucks, no, what me. are we going to do? Yeah, that was yeah. you. That was Josh Golden. That was several other people. Yeah. And then you address it in the draft, and by golly, is it working out for you? I mean, Roussel was a monster last week. And didn't he have an interception off Mahomes? Yeah, he well? won the AFC, rookie, uh, defensive, AFC rookie defensive Rookie of the Week. And rightfully so. And then this offense just looks much more dynamic than it ever has. I mean, I'm not going to lie. After that Pittsburgh game, I was thinking, is this team going to take a step back? I'm not going to lie to you. I was thinking that. And then, In terms of being the favorite for the AFC, we'll talk about the two teams, in my opinion, that are their biggest contenders momentarily. But, I mean, they look like the most complete team without question. They do. And, and you bring up a good point, right? There are some teams in the AFC now that they have built up and they've contended with the Chiefs, and now they're contending with the Bills. I think that Buffalo... The only thing they can do, which is not a difficult thing to tell them to do, focus on themselves. Because yeah. they they are a team that just looks at the next week and, and, and does the things that they need to do right. And I think that Buffalo, after week one, you, know, you mentioned that you were a little bit skeptical. I wasn't. I, I thought that, you know, long offseason, um, a lot of question marks. You have your first home game in front of 70,000 fans. With with this team, right? I I I used to I used to say that that was Josh Allen's first ever home game, like that like that was seventy thousand fans with the offense that he wants, first time in two years, right? So I I wasn't as skeptical. Do the Steelers are the Steelers awful now? Absolutely, and I knew they were going to be bad. But you can't win every game, and ever since that Week One loss, They've the Bills have been the best team in the NFL without question. Right. All right, but some some one of the teams I identified them as a or as someone that's trying to contend for the AFC, that's the LA Chargers. They they win a shootout with Cleveland, forty seven to forty two, and they also beat Kansas City in Kansas City. So, what kind of a threat level do you see the Chargers as to make it out of the AFC? I mean, Justin Herbert, he looks legit. Oh yeah, I, I love Justin Herbert. I loved him coming into the draft um, just a few years ago. I had the the Dolphins. Honestly, I, I thought the Dolphins should have taken him over Tua. I thought the, I agree. Her, Herbert. He threw such a better ball in college, and and he throws one of the best balls in the NFL now. So I think that the Chargers are certainly a threat. My only concern with them is that run defense because they give up a ton of yards on the ground. And if you look at, you know, the Bills and and the Browns defenses, right, they they, they eliminate the run. They do a really good job of getting into the backfield quickly, 
and and using various sorts of twists and, and different combinations on the D-line to put pressure on the running backs. The only the reason I say it's an issue is because if the Bills were to go up against the Chargers, I know the, the Browns played the Chargers just this past week, so it's it's right. difficult to say, you know, if the Browns go up against the Chargers, I'm saying if the Bills go up against the Chargers and they're able to be a two-dimensional offense where you run the football with Singletary and Moss and then sometimes let Allen, you know, sling the rock wherever he can, right. that defense is going to be on its heels. And because you give up so many yards on the rush, you're going to now want to try and stop that rush. And that's when Josh Allen starts throwing the football. So the only issue I have with the Chargers is that rush defense because it makes them very vulnerable. But at the same time, that offense is awesome to watch. And Herbert, I don't want to say, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but he is going to be a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Without question. So I'll begin with this. One, you said you were comparing Miami drafting, excuse me, Miami drafting Tua whether or not they should have drafted Herbert. I think that if the Miami Dolphins had Justin Herbert as their quarterback right now, I'd be shook. They would be a Super Bowl. They would be a Super Bowl. Oh, I, I would be infinitely shook. As I'm a Bills sure fan. you would, because it would be Herbert versus Allen in the AFC East for years to come. Maybe Mac Jones is going to step in there a few years. God, from that now. just like my heart <laughs> sank. You said it. It's not even reality, and my heart sank. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. <laughs> well, I, well, if that sinks you, who knows what we're going to have? We're going to have a lot of fun over these next three years if oh, that yeah. shakes you. All right, so. Yeah, this is a really, really good football team. But like you said, the run defense is a concern. I think the fact that they let up 42 to a Cleveland team that had struggled offensively in the past two weeks is a little bit disconcerting. However, at this point in time, the AFC West is there to the taking. Kansas City looks like a shell of themselves from years past. They honestly do. And I believe it was over the weekend. They're not outright Super Bowl favorites for the first time since after the Pats went home in 2020, hmm. which, is, which is frightening when yeah. you really think about it. And and the reason is because of that defense. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Allen could do anything that he wanted on Sunday Night Football against that Chiefs defense was absurd because you go back to that AFC Championship game. Yes, Buffalo moved the football, but they, they didn't scored. move it enough, and they didn't get it into the end zone. So I am really concerned about that Chiefs defense because the, the old saying goes, you know, offense wins games, but defense wins championships. Yeah. That is the MO is. for the Chiefs this year. And so... Patty Mahomes can do anything that he wants, but if he has to get seven every single drive, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. All right. Our last one, the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, I really don't know what to make of this team. One week they'll look amazing, blowing, winning a close game over the Chiefs. The next it'll take a miracle field goal to beat the Detroit Lions. And the next it'll take a miracle comeback to beat the Indianapolis Colts. I'm blanking on who they beat in week four, but... I think they they had a really good win. I thought like no. a very good win. I, I I I'm forgetting the team off the top of my head yeah. too. But I know they won, but yeah. But I, what do you make of this team? Because I feel like it's you're either going to get the really really good side or you're going to get the really really bad side. Yeah. So I am a uh, a Louisville Cardinal fan. So I watched Lamar Jackson in college. Um, phenomenal. And the fact that he went 32nd to the Ravens, I was stunned. Because I knew that he's he's a, a I was, great. I was begging the Patriots to take him. Oh yeah, as the heir to Brady. I think that a lot of teams wanted that, but they didn't know what they were going to get as Lamar the passer. Lamar has been a fantastic QB in this league, and you know the Ravens are the Ravens because of Jackson. But you need more than just him. Yeah, and the that receivers was, are 
troubling to right think about. they got away with a postseason win against the titans last year right they were the, the bills defense did a great job in the divisional round against them because baltimore's offense is lamar jackson heavy and you it doesn't matter what baltimore does adding weapons and trying to get the right pieces offensively because it's lamar's team <laughs> like I, I was really interested over these last two off-seasons to see what Baltimore would do, right? They go get Sammy Watkins. They, they bring in J.K. Dobbins in the draft. It's not enough. And the, the only way that Baltimore is going to be a top team in the NFL now is if their defense is the number one defense in the NFL. That's the only way. And they aren't by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that Baltimore is—they have to rely on Lamar Jackson— more than ever before and that's difficult because that's been the Ravens MO for the last three or four it years hasn't worked out right and teams know that Lamar's the guy because remember when Lamar won the MVP award it was mostly because the Ravens offense couldn't be stopped yeah. well defenses know like how to stop them now because that's just how the NFL works teams re- defenses read other offenses and they know how to play against them so that defense in Baltimore has to be the number one defense in the NFL, and granted, they're in a division where they can be the number one defense in the <laughs> yep, NFL. Yep. So I'm really, really torn about this Ravens team because I think that they're still the best team in the North. Granted, I, I, I think Joey Football can do some magical things in Cincinnati, and he'll be the Bengals are a really good team, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think they're a I, very, very hard team to read, and they have been for a few years now. Very small sample and size, too. Uh, like you said, you're either going to get really, really good or really, really bad. That playoff game against Buffalo, I mean, they scored a grand total of three points. And that's not enough. The Ravens and it goes without saying. But and even the, even on their best offensive drive, the Ravens drove down the field and the marker pick six. Pick six. So it was a hundred yard pick six at that too. I'm sure that was uh, one of your shining moments. I threw my a hat across the living room when I was at home, uh, you know, because my job requires me to go back home from break. So I threw my hat across the living room of my house, and I was very, very happy with I'm that. I'm sure you were. So, I mean, yeah, they're a tough team to read. I don't think there's any saying that. At their peak, yeah, they could potentially win the Super Bowl. However, if they're not at their peak, then they're going to lose to, I don't know, I could even see them losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars if they're playing that poorly. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean, we'll see. We'll I mean, see. They did lose to the Las Vegas Raiders. That's true. And uh, well, we don't need to talk about them. But we do need to talk about Russell Wilson. Oh, that's tough. He was my fantasy quarterback, Joe. Oh, that's and now pain. he's on IR. That so, is pain. I mean, my je- my backup is Joey Amazing, so I could, it could be worse. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a huge loss for Seattle. They They were trending downwards before, and we'll talk about them later because they're playing on Sunday Night Football, but... I mean, how big of a loss is this for Seattle, and can they overcome it? It's a massive loss for them. Um, you know, I think that the Seahawks are their, their defense has been very spotty, and it's been up to Russell Wilson to sort of power this team to the top, right? To to win football games, and it's worked like the, in the regular season. I should say it's worked over the last couple of years. Uh, the playoffs, completely different story, but this hurts. I am happy for Geno Smith. I'm very happy for Geno Smith. He finally he's he's kind of been that you know superstar college quarterback that never got his shot. <laughs> now he's the starting quarterback for the Seahawks. Congrats! If he can lead the Seahawks to victory, have at it. But I think that the the Russell Wilson injury just eliminates any possibility of the Seahawks contending in that division. 
because the defense, the Seahawks defense cannot go up against the Matt yeah. Stafford-led Rams team. It cannot go up against whether they go with Garoppolo or Lance in San Francisco and no, no way chance. It's coming they up against Kyler Murray. No shot. So I think that the Seahawks, this is going to be a down year for them. It, they might be able to get a really good draft pick because of it, and uh, it, it'll help them out. And I think what we're not mentioning is Chris Carson is going to be out for a while, too. Yeah, so that this too. offense is in trouble. I know they still have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. However, you lose your quarterback and you lose your running back. It's disconcerting for Seattle. And like you said, I had going into the season all four FC West teams being in the playoffs. That is looking like a fantasy at the moment. <laughs> it just is because yeah. this is a heavily banged up Seattle team. And the question is, can they overcome it? I mean, I don't think they're better than Arizona, even though I believe they beat San Francisco. I don't think they'd beat them right now. And they're definitely That's not fair. better than the Rams. And that showed the other day. So that being said, is a huge loss. And to be frank, I just don't see them overcoming it. Yeah, I'm not as high as on the 49ers as you are just because of that offensive identity, but eh. I, I, it doesn't matter now. I think that there's going to be two playoff teams in the NFC West, and that's it. So you think uh, Cardinals and Rams are Yeah, they're shoo-ins. Lock-ins. Shoo-ins, really? I've been, yeah, I'm, I've been high on the Cardinals for a while now. That offense is so explosive. I think that Kyler has been able to throw like a better football in his time in the NFL, and he's really developed that arm. Getting D Hop on the outside helps out too, and that defense by adding JJ Watt, even though you know their linebacking core may still have some question marks, and that yeah. secondary is a little bit iffy. The the Cardinals are, are still a fantastic ball club. I'm shocked they're undefeated, but I still think that they're really good, and I think that they're going to be a playoff team no matter what. Yeah. All right. Well, time for the history lesson, boys and girls. Where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. So, 18 years ago today, October 16th. Yeah, we don't need to talk about it much. But Aaron Boone hit a walk-off homer to send the Yankees to the World Series in Game 7 over the Red Sox. Joe, feel free to elaborate. I mean, Yeah, I mean, that play alone probably got Aaron Boone, Aaron Boone sorry, his job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, was, uh, that was an unreal moment. Um, they, they play it all the time on the Yes Network. They have, like— classic Yankee moments but it's literally only like three moments that they've cut up and they just replay them as teasers or stingers um but that moment that is you know it's an all-time Yankee moment um you know and and then that was that was in the time when the Yankees were coming out of the dynasty and they weren't rebuilding per se but the Yankees weren't the Yankees of years past and when you can't have a guy like Jeter show up or Posada, you know, like the the core the four dogs. was still there, but you know it it you know they they weren't like they were back in the day. No. To have a guy like Aaron Boone step up and hit a clutch walk off home run against a big time rival like the Red Sox, um, it's an all time Yankee moment, and I stand by to this day. It's why Aaron Boone is the skipper of the New York I Yankees. I don't think there's any denying that. <laughs> Do you think he's going to keep his job? Ugh, I certainly hope not. But if the Yankees fire him, that means the organization fired itself. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well. Oh, we have another one. We've, oh, we've wow. got four, dude. Oh, oh my goodness. They, they, these are fantastic. All right. Thank you. 47 years ago, on Monday, October 18th, Nate Thurman of the Chicago Bulls did something for the first time that's only been done by three other men. And that's achieve a quadruple double. Now, I I used to have quadruple doubles in high school, but the cameras were off. Thurman Thurman recorded 22 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 blocks. The only other three, the other three, pardon, that have done that, Alvin Robertson, 
Hakeem Olajuwon. Are you familiar with Hakeem Olajuwon? A little bit. Yeah, and, I hear about him a lot from and, my friends back in Houston. And uh, David Robinson. He was also very good. Are the other they're the other three players? All right. So, I mean, if you're putting up all these quadruple doubles left and right, I mean, go talk to Jim Beheim. <laughs> he could use you're you. Right. You're right. right. Seventeen years ago, Wednesday, October twentieth. You know, this one doesn't hurt at all. The Red Sox finished off their famous comeback from down 3-0 as Pooch looks away from me against the Yankees with a 10-3 walloping in Game 7. Johnny Damon, who ended up being more of a Yankee hero than a Red Sox hero, yeah. had two homers and six rebies in the game. Big Poppy and Bellhorn also added long balls. I mean, you know, you know, you know, I, ugh. you know, <laughs> mm. those those old 2000s uh, Yankees-Red Sox games were amazing. Yeah. Um, I was just happy that Johnny Damon... You know, yeah. ended up finding brain cells, came over to the pinstripes, oh, and uh, you know, won, won a ring in 09. But you know, he's still, I, he's still giving the Benedict Arnold treatment. <laughs> I mean, you, you can give him whatever you want. Um, that you know, those 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 series were fantastic, and yeah. you know, that's just you know, that's just the the Yankees Red Sox. That's what makes the the rivalry yeah. fantastic. Our last one, 55 years ago. Ooh, we're going back Friday, yeah. October 22nd. Bobby Orr, number four Bobby Orr, scored his first career goal against the Montreal Canadiens to keep Liam's <laughs> ego at boy at bay. Sorry, I can't oh, read. Sorry, I won't get too descriptive. The former Bruins blue liner is widely considered to be one of the best to ever play, and I, I can't. I, 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 I chose to, this yeah. one because there's another hockey topic I want to address, but how about that extension signed by Charlie McAvoy? Eight years, $76 million. Be careful I, what you wish for. I think, That's all I'm going to say. I think he has an opportunity to be the next great Bruins defenseman. So there was there was Bobby Orr, then after him there was Ray Bork, then after him there was Big wow. Z. And now you and now the keys to the car are being handed to Charlie McAvoy. Wow. I think he has a chance to be in that class. But now, you got to get a cup. Now that is that is high praise. And I know. all I'm going to say is be careful what you wish for. Putting 9 and a half million dollars into one player, granted the Bruins had to do it. Just be careful because I'm looking at this from I follow many NHL teams. I'm a Sabres fan, but I follow the NHL in general. When you give one player, especially a defenseman, around nine and a half million, it handcuffs you and it doesn't allow you to make those big time other moves. Now, if the Bruins can develop some players in Providence and and fill out the the fourth line or the third line with young guys and even that final D pairing, I think that the Bruins will be that that good team where. You can have McAvoy as a $9.5 million player, but just be careful at the end of the day because you never know if the Bruins in this Atlantic division, you know, there's Tampa, Toronto, but Florida's getting better. Montreal was just in the Stanley Cup final. Um, there are some teams that are ready to make some some postseason runs. Yeah. And even the Senators, they're a young team. Oh, come on. I, I'm not putting them in the same category as, as the Sabres and, and the Red Wings right now. I think the, the Senators can certainly put some pressure on some of those top teams. I don't, I don't think they're a playoff team, but again, it's 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 going back to that length division of there, there are some good teams. You don't want to be handcuffed at the end of the day with a Charlie McAvoy who, if he doesn't put up those same numbers that he has been over the last couple of years, he's not going to be in that Bobby Orr, um, you Chara, know, kind of Chara, you know that, that conversation anytime soon. So I mean, the, the current cup window is closing very fast. There's only so much time we're going to have with Bergie and Marshawn. So I think this is a move you had to make so you can go into the future of building around McAvoy and Pasternak and maybe even Taylor Hall. Who knows? But and, and I'm a big Charlie McAvoy guy. Like, oh, good. I think he's a fantastic defenseman. He moves the puck so well. He skates efficiently. 
I'm just when you give and you have good reason for concern. I'll give you right. that. Right when when you when you invest nine and a half million, you expect those numbers to stay or get better. Yeah. So if he falls off at any any point, it's it's difficult for the Bruins to sort of make up for that because you can't move a big time contract. Well, the good news about Charlie McAvoy is, you want to know how old he is? How old is he? Twenty three. Yeah, he's, he's been old. in the league for a while. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for our big games of the week segment. We call it "Who You Got." So. Game about to kick off literally moments from now. Kentucky, Georgia, the new number one team in the country against, in your opinion, now you had Luke Fickle of Cincy, my big. I did, yes, I did. But still, Mark Stoops has done great things with that Wildcats program, so can he pull off a massive upset? Uh, is the game in Kentucky? No, it's in Georgia. Okay, I think that that sort of helps out the Bulldogs a lot. I like I like Georgia in this game. Um, Kentucky's a great team, um, but that's, that, that's playing in the SEC. you, you got to play good teams all the time. Um, it'll be a close one. I I like Georgia by two scores. Um, it'll be it'll be tight. It'll be contested, but I think that if the Bulldogs can manage time of possession, it will allow or it'll hinder the Wildcats from you know being able to break out those big time plays and be the offense they have been over the last Kentucky's, the entire season. I Kentucky's a good team. Georgia's a great team. Yeah, Give me the Bulldogs. Yeah, I, I don't think, think it, you need to say much more than that. They're the top team in the country. If you were to make tiers right now, I think Georgia's just in a class all by themselves. Without question. I think Iowa, you can make a case to be with them, but I think no, Georgia I is easily number one them. team in football. All right, moving on. So, like last week, another game we would absolutely not be talking about if it weren't for the fact that it's being played over the seas. London, baby. Two weeks in a row. This week it is the Dolphins and Jags. So... <laughs> First of all, Joe, are you going to get up to watch that game? Absolutely not. I will, <laughs> I I will sleep through that As and dream of anything but watching <laughs> the Dolphins and Jaguars. Tua's back. Helps out the Dolphins. I think Tua's terrible, but it helps out the Dolphins, I guess. Um, you know what? I'm picking the Jaguars. I, Why not? I, I got the Jaguars, too. I mean, yeah. I'm not counting on Tua looking particularly sharp in his first game back, and I don't think the Jaguars are going to go 0-17 under Trevor Lawrence. I mean, obviously that organization has a a lot going on right now, <laughs> right. but and I I think Trevor Lawrence has a big day over the sea, gives the Jaguars their first one of the season. Yeah, I mean I I'm a big Trevor Lawrence guy. Um, I think he was the best QB prospect that we've seen since Andrew Luck. By wow. by you know no and granted I had Josh Allen as the number one quarterback in 2018. He's now my quarterback now, so I don't know. Um, I think that Lawrence is a is a great player, and as you mentioned, it's really tough for him to lead an 0-17 squad. I think he's the defense has glaring holes that they need Without to fill, question. but the Dolphins, I I don't like them very much. Neither and do I. I don't, I'm not very high on them. We end on a bit of a low, lower-tier Sunday Night Football game, if I'm being totally honest. It's Seahawks-Steelers. Like we said, Seattle playing very, very injured. So, poo, two wins what I think is going to be a rather ugly slugfest. Yeah, I think the fighting Geno Smiths win this one. Um, I, I, I'm not. I mean, the Steelers. Like, what is like? Just, just what? Like that's like <laughs> if they said to, like describe the Steelers, I'd just say what? Like they have no offensive identity. Their defense is lackluster. Um, yes, they beat Buffalo in Week One, but since then, what else have they done that's been impressive? They beat like, the Broncos last week. No, I'm not impressive. I'm yeah, kidding. so I, I don't know. I, I think that the Seahawks, even without their big time quarterback. Geno Smith, he, I mean, you know, they call him Morgantown Jesus for a reason. And so uh, I think that Geno Smith is going to be able to do some uh, some unreal things in this game. And, you know, I think that the, the, CEO, the Pacific Northwest might love Geno Smith. Who knows? But 
I'm actually going to disagree with you. Give me the Yinzers in this one. Wow. I know I'm going a little bit bold here, but, I mean, that was a good win for them last week, even though it was against a lackluster team. But, I mean, a Pittsburgh crowd on a Sunday night, I mean, even when they're terrible, that stadium will always be packed. They'll be there regardless. I mean, this this is Big Ben's swan song, it feels like, and you can, you can guarantee that they'll want to be there to send him off well. And I think Big Ben wants to play well in what appears to be his final season. I mean, like you said, they're not a very good team. However, Seattle is just so banged up right now, and I'm rolling with the injuries this weekend. I mean, if I can back up your point, right, I think that the Seahawks' defense has been terrible all yes, season. So They've been terrible for a few years. Right, so Big Ben doesn't really have to air it out. If they can get those five-yard in routes, if they can just methodically move the football, and it'll take a lot of time off the clock, but if the Steelers get seven at the end of the day, they're not going to complain. Indeed. All right, well, that is all. Pooch, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Love Thank to you. have you on sometime again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. For Joe Puccio, I'm Liam Griffin. Give this podcast a follow on the gram at Full Court Press Podcast and yeah. on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be in Pooch's seat, you know what to do. Shoot me a text. We'll make it happen. Someone texted me right before we recorded. Shout out Colin Bach. All yeah, right, baby. <laughs> all right. Well, week ahead, we've got an NBA preview coming out later this week. That's going to be awesome. And then Minnesota's finest is set to make his debut next weekend. Who is Minnesota's finest? Only time will tell. We'll see you soon.